never read your parents' diaries, don't do it. It's a bad idea. <laughs> Welcome back to the All In Podcast with Rick Jordan. I'm here with Shiggy, again, part two. If you didn't hear part one, listen to it because we really dove into the, the deep of suicide. And I'm excited to expand on Shiggy's story today. What's shaking, Shiggy? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to be back. It's, it's uh, yeah, there's a lot to cover, apparently, when it comes to being on the other side of uh, suicide bereavement. For sure. We, uh, we left off. And we talked post-show about your journey with your mom and getting to the States, but everything you went through there. But then also we didn't really touch on your trip back to Kenya. So jump in wherever you want in that, in that part of the story and let's go from there. Sure. So I think, I think, um, you know, just a little bit of a, of a kind of a catch up moment, um, you know, in the midst of all of all of the emotional turmoil and having to go and deal with, you know, a, a dead person's affairs effectively. Um, right before I went to the States to go deal with everything, I did tell my uncle, like, you are dealing with the Kenya bit. <laughs> um, because I knew already, you know, I'm, I'm born and raised Kenyan. I don't sound Kenyan or African, if there's such a thing at all. All right. I probably sound more British than anything else, but then I have a slight American twang. So the association with Kenya isn't even that big when you just look at me. Um, but I was, I was, I lived there until I was 15 years old. So, you know, there is a lot that I understand and there's a lot that I ob observe. Um, and being away from all of that, I know there is no way I can go back and try and just pretend like I'm a local. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's interesting even at, at 15 that you would know that because, I, I, you know, I, I can equate a little bit to being 16 and my dad passing and there's so many memories and I, it's more like, a, is it more like emotions for you? Because it is for me that you remember those mm -hmm. parts, you have memories, but, you know, real memories that, that, where you can see things, but it's more like the emotions and you can feel what the people were like. You still carry that mm. with you. Yep. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the, the main thing that I had. And the few times I did go back, you know, uh, got to love local people and their brashness to like, you're a foreigner. And I'm like, I'm, well, I'm Kenyan. And they're like, no, you're a foreigner. You can't even speak Swahili. I'm like, yeah, but like, I'm still one of you. Like, you know, there's that kind of whole understanding. Like I accepted what they were saying because it's true in one sense. Um, but my grandmother, before she passed, she said like, it doesn't matter how far away you are from home, you're still Kenyan, you know? Um, and I've always held on to that as opposed to people saying like, oh, you sound different, therefore you're not one of us. Um, so with that, you know, having that armor that, that added onto my armor of understanding, um, when I left to go to the States to go deal with my mom, I did tell my uncle cause he wanted to come with me and I'm like, I, I can't mother you. I just need to mother myself. I'm doing this on my own. Your duty is to deal with the Kenyan stuff because I'm female, right? And unfortunately there is this whole, um, I suppose lead or push of a patriarchal kind of head of the spear. Being female, uh, being the eldest female born, you know, there's always this look for where's the, where's the man, where's the son, you know, where's the, the, the man of the family. And it's like, me <laughs> you're wow. dealing with 
<laughs> I am the man of the family. Um, and I understood that. And I didn't want to deal with the headache that would be constantly reminding people like you're dealing with me. There is no man in this family. I am the man and the woman and the eldest. And she's my mother. Like, you know, I didn't want to deal with all of that on top of having to deal with my mother short herself. So I told my uncle, I'm going to be away for three weeks. By the time I come over, I am just a numb you know, earn holder. I think that's where we kind of left off on the last episode. So that's basically, I set that tone with him. Um, and credit to him, he, you know, he took it on board and he just carried on doing his thing, asked me what I was doing, told him this is what's going on, you know, and, and we kind of just liaised and organized things as a, as a, I suppose, army, you know, bringing someone home. Um, and flying back from the States with my mother in my backpack uh, was quite a weird, surreal thing to have. Um, and I don't know if I mentioned this as well with, with flying from the States. So this is from Atlanta and Georgia, you know, there's the whole Southern hospitality thing, which I, I hugely appreciated whilst I was out there being in the airport. Um, everyone was just so patient and so kind and just really looked out for me. Because, you know, having a, a, a travel urn, not even just a normal, you have to have a very specific um, flight people approved urn, right? That's where my brain was going. How did, because I remember my, my son getting this like sand kit or something like that on a vacation <laughs> and they thought it was some sort of like plastic explosive component mm -hmm. or something. How do you, so there's a travel urn that's. Yep. Yeah. So um, whilst I was at the the crematorium, it was a conversation that I had because, you know, my, my dark humor, as twisted and sick as it can be sometimes, is actually a really good in um, driver for, for exploring places that I'm not sure about, but I feel maybe I should kind of like say something. So I did mention like, I am taking my mother home in my backpack. Um, what do I need to do anything special? Um, and cause I've actually been trained up in, um, scanning airport style scanning. I used to be a security person. I used to do physical security, um, which included doing the airport style scanners and being able to read them so I can read, um, you know, airport style x-rays of, of stuff. And I know having something like an urn with this, it'll end up being like a very light gray, like nondescript shape thing in there. People will have to take that out and open it. And I'm like, I don't want my mom's dust everywhere. So like, how do I stop that from happening? And and the guy there, he was, he was, he was fine. He was just like, oh, you need a travel urn. And I'm like. As if it's like just a normal everyday thing. Yeah. I mean, they, they've clearly dealt, like they were really, really good. Um, they've clearly dealt with, with all sorts. And they did say they've, they've dealt with a lot of African, um, funerals oh, wow. where they've had to deal with full bodies. Like I'm, the, I'm an easy case where my mom got cremated. They had to kind of deal with full caskets and, you know, in exporting, you know, the body and, and doing all of that stuff. So I'm, my problem, my not problem, my situation was easier for them. Where was your mind at when you start talking about the different types of urns that you have to have? Because I remember you talking and it was, the, it was dark humor. It was really funny. Well, you're saying, he's like, there's my mom in a box. You know, <laughs> I remember that from last time. But yeah, how does that conversation go? And where's your head at? I don't know. It was a weird kind of matter of fact situation where I have, you know, 
I suppose my brain kind of went slightly warfare-ish, kind of going like there's a payload and I need to make sure it gets delivered safely. You know, that that's that's part of my thinking. And the other part of me is just like, but what if we have to transfer like her dust from one thing to another with a cup? So there's there's part of me that's just <laughs> like <a> <laughs> <laughs> no, but th this you you asked you asked the question. I know, and I did. But <laughs> why the, why a cup? I don't know, like some kind of palace or I don't like a Viking horn. Like I don't, that's what my brain did. It's just like, uh, what if I have to like do the switching and they just give me this like basic box or a plastic bag and like I have to do the things and like you know what if like she turns into dust and she goes up my nose and I sneeze and like just it it. It was a mess. My brain, my mind was an absolute mess, but I let the kind of warlord take the front because the child in the back was just going, I don't know what to do with this. What if she's dusty? And you know, that's, that's what I have. I have a child mentality. There wasn't really room or an opportunity for feeling sadness or pain because there wasn't any. Um, I was already exhausted by I think at the time it had been at least 10 days worth of me, you know, going all over the place, having to go and, and claim her body, you know, at, at the uh, morgue, you know, and dealing with the various police officers and all the phone calls and going back and forth from the apartment and never read your parents' diaries. I think I mentioned that as well. Don't do it. It's a bad idea. <laughs> she wrote a lot about me. I read a lot about me. Was that during the 10 days you started reading that? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was probably day I arrived, went saw my uncle, uh, got a whole bunch of papers and stuff. Um, and then I think from day five, so about five days worth of just me going back and forth from the apartment and then spending one day to go down and, and, uh, collect, uh, or claim the body. Um, all of that I think was a huge emotional turmoil for me to the sure. point where well, I just, I yeah, I was numb. Basically. I can't imagine because I mean, I, there's a there's an image that everybody projects, right? And there's only very few people, I think, in the world that anyone can come across in their path to where you feel like you can be completely open with all of your emotions, your thoughts, your feelings. You know, we talk, we'll, we'll touch on this later about finding your people, like we we did before, but especially your parents, because I mean, even even though I have amazing parents, you know, even with my dad dying when I was young, I'm sure they everybody struggles with stuff. You know, and you've got, I, I can only imagine my mom when my, when my dad passed everything that was going through her head. So you're enlightening me now to what really goes on in that kind of turmoil. But I don't, I don't want to go back if she journaled or anything like that during that time period, because that might, we're only human, right? And that might put up a wall and change my perception of my mom. And that's really not her because emotional turmoil can do just shitty things in your brain. <laughs> I've been yeah. there. You've obviously been there too. So beyond that, you know, beyond just saying, don't read that stuff, what else can you do to process those emotions in those times? Well, so, you know, I, I, it initially, it was like, you know, one of those really intense books you feel you shouldn't be reading, but you just can't stop because it just, it, there's something in the back of your head that's just like more, more, more. I need to understand. I need to grasp. I'm, I'm, you know, and you fool yourself. You're doing this for science, for understanding behavioral psychology of your mother. And you're just oh. like, no, you're not. So you were just, you just trying wanna... to justify. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, part of me is going, I'm not a bad person. Like that, that's my whole thing. My whole life mantra, if you wanted to kind of 
double condense it down to just that. I'm not a bad person. It's my whole thing. I just don't want to be a bad person. Um, and that diary was going against that. The whole, like every single line was just, you know, I know it was, she was just very angry. Um, she lived a very, very hard life, a very tough life. She was on her own. She was let down so much, so, so, so much by everyone, including my stepfather, including my biological father, um, including her grandfather, her, her father, my grandfather, her mother. She was sent to boarding school in another country at the age of 12, you know? Um, so she's, yeah, she's been through a lot. And after the first uh, day of reading through all of that and just literally feeling like the tiniest piece of crap on someone's heel. Wow. <laughs> um, a friend of mine told me like, no, you need to shred these. And I'm like, okay, fine. But she's like, no, but I'm like, okay, okay. I need to go. But <laughs> like, was, I still have my own little thing that I need to do with that is um, I needed to pull myself out of the books because I, I don't have you ever watched any of the Harry Potter films? Oh yeah. All of them. Yeah. Okay, good. Right. So, you know, when they have the precipice, yeah. Right. And um, uh, Dumbledore kind of pulls his memories out and pulls them, puts them into the bowl, essentially. Where you can see. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Exactly. And then Harry gets stuck in, but, you know, Voldemort's down there and, and he starts getting pulled into this yeah. thing properly. So it was that. I felt like, you know, I was so stuck in to her uh, narrative of our life that I was forgetting mine. And I had to, you know, I, I reread some bits because I tore out certain pages that kind of like hurt the most. And the next day um, I read those and I gave myself the question, is it true? And this is something one of my psychotherapists gave me a long time ago because we were talking about lived experiences um, and your lived experience and my lived experience of the same situation are both valid. You know, if you felt a certain yeah, way, right if you saw yep. things that way, if you did all of that, that's fine. The things and the way I saw stuff as well from the same situation, they're both correct. There's no wrong, right? So I had to, I used that, I used that, is it true kind of aspect. And I read these things and I went, is it true? For her, it was. And for me, it wasn't because this is how I had it. And I can see where the common, the commonalities were, you know, kind of recalling my own experience of, of her experiences. I could fill in the gaps. And I think that was the problem was I was seeing her situation and kind of going, no, that's not how it happened. It's wrong. Like, you know, the five-year-old is kind of freaking out. So I did that with four or five incidences. <laughs> there were a lot of incidences, but I did that with some of the younger ones and then some of the more recent ones. And then just went, okay, I'm done. That's it. And then I just shredded everything else. There was like four or five other diaries and I'm just like, nope, <laughs> nope. I'm not reading any of them. Um, cause I understand where my mother was, what she's been through. Um, you know, I had a better picture as a result, but ultimately she's done her thing. You know, I now need to do my, my duty, which is just take her home. Um, so, so yeah, kind of being in the, in, in the, in the office with my mom on the table, um, I, I was exhausted. I, there's literally no more emotional, um, output from the child. The child was now just kind of doing stupid jokes. And all I had left was, you know, my militant aspect of me that just needs to get the job done. Um, so that's why, you know, I was, I was asking if I'm traveling, like, I don't particularly want to have to start, you know, transferring her with a cup, uh, between two urns. Like, is there something that you guys can do before she gets cremated? And they said, oh yeah, we can put her in a travel urn. 
and like you, like, you know, the security person means like, what, what's the difference? What, what's going on? And there, he said, um, it's a fully sealed, uh, case and it has a certificate on it that allows it to be, to, to travel. And the inside of it is treated in such a way that any airport security searching, um, unit will notice that there's, there's, um, the guy there has to put a coin underneath it so that you can see the coin through the box. Um, so they don't put a coin wow. inside the box. They just put it, it, it sits in its own tray. They put a coin there and um, the box sits on top of that and nothing else is allowed to touch it. Um, so that's how it gets through an x-ray machine. And obviously the person seeing the operator of, of the machine will have to tell you know one of the other security operatives that this is a specific thing that needs to now go to be um, uh, swabbed with a specific kind of chemical that they use <laughs> to make sure that there's no like bomb dust on it or drug dust or any, like they have a whole kit, right? And you have to stand there with them. They, they won't move it without, you know, you being there with them at the same time. So it's, it's a very step-by-step um, -step controlled uh, process that they do. And they're lovely. Like through all of it, um, there was one guy who didn't quite know what was going on. And he's like, what's this? I'm like my mother. And he's like, what? And I'm like, you're holding my mom. <laughs> and he was like, he had gloves on. And he's looking at like that. There's, uh, I've got pictures, but there, there was like literally the certif uh, certification, you know, yeah. kind of stamp was on the front of it. It's just a black like box. There's nothing fancy about it. And I'm just, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm just like, you're holding my mom. And the guy is just like, what do you mean? I'm like, the box has my mother inside it and it's in your hands. That's what you're holding. Like, th this is what I was saying. I was so tired, but clearly dark humor was still working. And he just started having this like look of panic. And then I just started looking at someone else kind of going, hi, like <laughs> he doesn't know what's going on. And I don't have the energy to like entertain this. So this other guy comes over, old dude clearly knows exactly what's going on. He's like, ah, so who's this? And I'm like, oh, it's my mother. He's like, my condolences and like he he just rolls into it and just does everything and he he teaches the guy you know this is what you need to do da 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 da, da. um and yeah at the end there was another lady um again an, an an older black lady so these these were two black people by the way who were who were helping me out um and the other one guy i think he was mexican or something which was interesting just to see how gentle and loving everyone was with the process like there was no hardships or anything and everyone just kind of just pfft, just, just turned it down a little bit, like, you know, cause yeah. they could see how exhausted I was. It's interesting. I mean, there's two things I'm hearing in your story, at least mm. this part of it. And the first is, we'll start with the TSA people, right? Or the security people. And there's times to where I feel, cause I travel a lot, that some of them like to go on a power trip, right? And you, you see that, but in, in a moment like this, it's extremely encouraging because everybody is still human at their heart. Even though the, who knows, what, why are they on the power trip that day? You know, maybe there were some idiots that were going through the line. I mean, I'm always saying hi, I'm always waving because their job's got to suck because they probably have some idiots that just go through security and just yell at them. I mean, literally yell at them. I've seen it happen. So what's going on in their day? But something like this happens and it's like immediately they're back to, hey, I'm a person in this moment. And here's another person that's going through a, a time and I just need to be a human in this, in this moment. I'll do my job, but at the same time, I can bring humanity back into today, into this, this two minutes. The, the second thing, and I'm relating to this, is this war mode that you're in of just getting the job 
done. And when my dad passed, it was the same thing for me because I had younger brother and younger sister that I was raising for two years. And it really was that for me for just that two years. I mean, I would, I would drive them to school after I got them up dressed and then I would drive to school myself, but then I would drive myself to work. You know, I was working full time and then I would get home and I might play a little bit of Xbox at that time, you know, or I think it was Nintendo 64 at that time. You know? but, and that was it. It was like wash, rinse and repeat. And the, the, that was the emotional state. You know, and you'd have that child that would pop up every now and then to where you could think you could have fun for a moment. But then you sort of suppress that child back down because you have a job to do. You have to get through these next 10 days or these next two years. And you put your head down and you just go through it because that's what you're supposed to do. I'm the oldest also. It's a, I, I get that. You know, I, I, I am, I was the man of the house and I'm here. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It seems like this always falls on the oldest when this happens and you just put your head down and you just plow through it because that's what you're supposed to do. Because, did you feel like everybody in the world was just like depending on you? I'm an extroverted introvert, right? So, um, you know, I DJ and I do all this stuff outside and, and I can be the life of the party. I can, I can hold a room and, you know, do all these things, but please leave me the hell alone. Do not call me. And during this entire time, my phone was blowing up. And, and some days I just switched my phone off because I'm like, I, 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 what, what is this? I don't like it. To me, it did feel like everyone was asking me questions and looking for answers. And the problem with that, like with me and my childhood with my mom, is I was never really allowed to ask my mom questions. She's like, there's an Oxford dictionary over there. There's a medical dictionary over there. There's a, a thousand and one things you need to know about the sea over there. Literally, she just, she just bought books with all the answers in it. And I had to go and find the answers. I was never allowed to ask a question and be told a simple answer. So like, you know, when Google came around, I was like, oh my God, finally. <laughs> just, <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> I don't have to touch it ever again. I can tell, I can just tell people to Google the thing, but I still, I still, you know, people ask me questions. I'll still endeavor to find answers. So with that situation with my mom, I didn't know what I was doing. I guessed like I typed things in Google and it gave me lots of answers that weren't like relevant until page 62, where there was this little blog post about like, you know, someone who had to deal with um, being a foreigner and trying to claim like a dead body, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And they made it out to be really complicated. It wasn't that complicated at all because I looked like my mom and she thankfully didn't destroy her face. So it did feel like everyone was asking me questions and was expecting from me. Um, which I'm used to having, like everyone always expects stuff from me all the time. And sometimes I'll step up to the plate. Most times I'll just tell people no, because I've learned that no is, is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> you can say no, no is actually quite okay. It is. It is very okay. And it's a full sentence as well. So, yeah, it you is. know, <laughs> no, but no, 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 just no. No just is a full no. sentence. Yes. Um, so, so with, with all of it, like, you know, I, I kind of took what I needed to take on board when people did ask me questions. I'll be like, I don't know, but give me two days and I'll figure it out. You know, or this is what I'm searching. Can you go and search that at the same time? So, you know, two heads are searching at the same time. If you find anything that you feel is relevant, send it back to me and then we can have a discussion. You know, so just, I literally turned into a, an event manager. You know, I've, I've been a security event manager for, for, for 12 years 
something years or whatever. So my brain did, like you're saying, like it just defaulted into, you know, this, 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 this. I have a lot of places that I don't understand. Like there's nothing there, but as and when it becomes a relevant kind of uh, query and it's the next step that I need to take, then I will take this and I will figure out how to build a brick, <laughs> build my next brick. Um, and that's literally how the whole process was on the American side. Um, and there was a bit of for, foresight, you know, kind of looking ahead into, into the world of Kenya. Um, because like, you know, like I said, like if I had to lead it, I would have all these stumbling blocks that I already know existed. And I know that I'm going to be mentally and physically exhausted. Um, I don't want any of it because there will be slip ups, you know? So why should I lead that aspect when I have my family who've, you know, popped out of nowhere, my Kenyan side of the family who have said, you know, what do you need us to do? I'm like, deal with the Kenyan stuff. You're Kenyan. You do the thing. <laughs> like, do it. I don't, I don't even want to know what you're doing. All I want to know is when I arrive, tell me where to go. Tell me where I put my mother. And then I'm going home. Like that's, that's how kind of just, just, you know, bat, 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 like the, the Jewish aspect of me kind of popped up. Like my stepdad just basically popped up. Like what does, what needs to get done? What Something do you need tells me to me do? That's not exactly how it happened when you arrived though. It didn't, it didn't. Mostly because again, I refused to see a lot of stuff. Um, and I took uh, advantage of the assumed ignorance that local people have because I'm a foreigner. So I took advantage of that um, in a very tactical way. Because weirdly enough, when you're back in your home country for long enough, the language starts turning into a native thing where you actually understand the freaking words that are coming out of people's mouths. Flying over, the American hospitality was amazing. The British hospitality in the airports was different. <laughs> um, and again, in the previous episode, I think the first thing I mentioned about, about the, the, the stereotypical British demeanor is when you're emotional, they will just give you all the space you need. All right. They're just like, Oh, you're, you're being emotional. They're there. They're uh, old chap. Just, just stiff up a lip and then, you know, they move on. Um, so in the airports, you know, I was exhausted. The queues were hugely long. Um, just going through passport checks. I, I stayed at home for a bit for like a couple of hours before my transfer. Um, cause I wanted to get rid of all the suitcases I had, which were all overweight by the way, by about 15 to 20 kilos. And I didn't get charged for any of them. So more because compassion. Are human. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't yeah. even realize I, the, the woman was just talking to me and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, da, 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 da. like she, she just, just doing everything. I'm just there kind of going, I just, I just want to sit down. She's like, I understand. Here's your ticket. Da, 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 da. And literally as I got to the UK, I looked at my ticket properly and I had three stickers for my suitcases and they were all overweight. And I'm like, that's like what, $200 or something or, or however much it is. And she just didn't say a word. I'm like, Oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, the, the British uh, airport staff are just very kind of like, they don't care. Well, they, it's not that they don't care. They don't have to care. They just care enough to get the job done. Where they're like, sorry to hear that, love. My auntie's still on my mantelpiece. You just have to keep on going in that queue. It should only be another 25 minutes. I'm just like, all right, thanks. Wow, that's a matter of fact. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is, you know... I understand it because I've lived in England yeah. for, for 20 odd years, but at the same time, I was just kind of like very stark, very, very night and day kind of, you know, and 
yeah, I just, I just, I looked at that and I just went, it's a bit clinical. It's a bit heartless. I get it. But, you know, could have said anything else. You could have, you know, maybe been like, I'm really, really sorry. You know, we, unfortunately I haven't got any wiggle room. I can't put you into that queue. You know, just, it'll, it, it, it's another 20 minutes. I'm really sorry. I hope, you know, you're doing okay. If you need a drink of water or something like, you know, just go out and you can come back into the queue at the same point. Something like that. Maybe. No, none of that. Um, but I was so exhausted. I just, I just observed the situation and then just kind of shuffled along with everyone else. So the U- yeah, the UK, you know, that, that stark kind of airport experience between the two was interesting. And then, yeah, getting to Kenya was pretty straightforward. By then I'd already had a nap and I'd eaten some food and changed clothes and just had a, just a carry on with five days worth of change of clothes. And then they could be washed. Um, and my mum. <laughs> five days of clothes and, and my mother um i did actually buy a biodegradable purple urn that i wanted mm. to transfer her into so still the kind of the, the child in me was just kind of like oh we're gonna like dust and everything people didn't seem to care and the scanning in the uk they didn't i left it in my bag i was just like let's, let's see what what happens nothing Nothing at all. I don't know if that's a good thing to say or not, but I'm pretty sure they've picked up, you know, um, their scanning and everything. But yeah, that it was a very different experience to get back to Kenya. Um, and then my my Kenyan family basically looked after me. You know, I, I told them I, I was messaging them on the way back. I'm like, I am exhausted. I have zero brain power. Please cover everything and just tell me what I need to do. I am literally a zombie right now. So through the messages... And through my uncle kind of just telling me he had to lead um, the conversations with the elders and everything. So I kind of meant like slightly alluded to our, our family is quite involved, you know, in, in the Kenyan um, governmental space. You know, my uncle had a lot on his plate, you know, just being kind of quite uh, a public figure, as it were. Um, and with the passing of my grandmother, more so, there was a lot more of a, of a kind of song and dance around it because she was a very important woman to, to the president of at the time um, and the local village. She was the, the woman of the village, right? So my grandmother's funeral, we had, I think we had 400 people at the chapel on the first day and then maybe almost a thousand people at the funeral on the second day. And then there's just days and days and days of just, you know, dancing and talking and, you know, it's a whole thing. It's a celebration of life over there, um, which is something I wanted to, to touch upon this time around. It was the cultural differences, you know, because there's a huge amount of them. Please dive into that because how you're um, talking now really inspires me. That's, a, that's really how it should be. You know, yeah. I mean, there's grief and there's processing and everything, but why not focus on all the amazing things that this individual was? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I always found it weird, I, I guess, because the first um, association with death I had was at the age of two with my grandfather passing. And I saw everyone crying and I'm like, maybe I should cry, but I don't feel like crying. Like, I don't even know who this dude was. He was a cool dude. I enjoyed the time I had with him, but I don't feel like crying. And then I started crying just because I felt like, you know, I didn't want to be <laughs> the odd child out. But when my grandfather was there in an open casket, like my mom was crying because obviously her father passed away. I'm like, mom, why has he got cotton stuffed up his nose? Like that, that was it. Like out of his nose because it was just, I'm like, no, he can't breathe. He's dead. But like, you know, that was, that was my thing. Um, but with an open casket, you know, a uh, funeral, 
the the body has to be presented um so with my with my grandmother the same thing happened and i still have her her funeral um procession book where it's literally written a celebration of life um and if you go on youtube and you kind of do search for any kind of african funeral there is no black except for maybe those four guys that do the dancing um with the casket on their shoulders which i think is a west african thing um and it became a meme i think for this year or last year uh where they they dance and do a whole bunch of crazy moves with like this casket on their shoulders but ultimately it's a celebration of life like we we embrace and celebrate the joy and love and connection that person gave to the world and gave to the families around them even if there are a few issues that may have arise like we focused on the good initially like that that's the main reason why we're all there if that person touched a lot of people like my grandmother did then everyone shows up right everyone shows up to this to, to the ceremonies the eulogies the talks the the hymns because i think my grandmother was a, a seven day something something to do with christianity seven day later saints or something like that i don't know um so we had the chapel and all of that in there and we had a huge i suppose banquet as well so we fed everyone who who came over which is something i don't really see in christian funerals um like i unfortunately avoid christian funerals because they're so sad and um i feel from the experiences I've had, and I'm wringing my fingers because I feel really bad for what I'm about to say. I feel Western funerals are very selfish because they mourn the personal loss that a living person has. You know, they that everyone's there for their own personal reasons or their own personal attachments to the dead person. You know, so they're there to maybe cry the most or maybe wear the most outlandish dark outfit or, you know, whatever, or have the most outrageous arguments with everyone and blaming everyone for the reason why that person died you know all that kind of stuff um i don't like it because it it it's not part of my growing up like i've never really witnessed that unless you know yeah, i'm overseas yeah. i'm with you from my pastoral history i've only officiated i've officiated many weddings but i've only officiated one funeral and that was my grandmother's uh, i was asked to officiate hers and this was maybe 10 years ago now 11 years ago but in that moment, I mean, I saw everybody and I started injecting humor into my talk you know, just because I wanted, I wanted to break that, that focus on themselves and say, let's talk about this amazing freaking woman here, you know, and telling the personal stories about how I would tell them like, listen, because she was 93 when she passed. I mean, lived a long, amazing life. She was even bowling still three times a week when she was 93 years old, fully driving. And I remember having to even take her car home from the hospital. I drove it home when she passed in the hospital and I had to back it into her garage. And there were these two cement pillars on both sides of her parking spot with maybe like a half an inch clearance, you know, only like maybe a centimeter of clearance. I'm like, how did she do this? She was 93. I'm like, she did this day after day. She's a better driver than I am. And I've been through evasive driving tactics, you know, with, with all the security stuff. So I mean, but focusing on that individual is so important in celebrating. I'm like, hey, my mind went to look at all the things that she's been through in life, you know, and I'm like, she was born in the, the teens, you know, the 19 teens. 
And then she had the Roaring Twenties. And I, I still remember this part because it was just mind boggling to me. It's like all these amazing things she saw. And she went through the 30s and the Great Depression, World War II, and then coming out of that with the Cold War. And then the 60s with hippies and the 70s, disco. Like maybe she could have lived <laughs> and the whole room just erupts laughing, you know, in that moment when I just talk about disco. But it was putting the focus back on her. And I'd say, look at this amazing woman. And for, for, it was like for just 10 minutes, everyone's attention was off of themselves. And it was on this amazing woman that my grandmother was. So switching it around from people just crying in that moment, let's say, why can't we be happy? She was 93. And she was this amazing woman who I even said, listen, you can't go anywhere until you meet my kids. Until I have kids, you're not allowed to go anywhere, okay? <laughs> my mom being the youngest of seven, you know, the, I mean, seven kids, I was one of the youngest cousins and grandkids that existed. You know, so when she, I was 30 or something and she was 93, so there was a 63-year-old difference between the two of us. I mean, that's like even two generations in of itself for the most part. But focusing it off of yourself, you know, and that's... For the person that's going through it like you, I think it's a different story because you're the one that's like the feet on the street. You're the soldier in this moment. And even with, uh, with my grandmother, I felt that even though I didn't have anything to do with the arrangements and everything, I was still delivering the talk. I was that soldier in that moment. It's like, let's get the job done. And the job in this moment is to get the attention off of oneself, like you're talking, and get it onto this amazing woman. Yeah, and it sounds like the cultural differences, because Western civilization is very much this way. We all were black. You know, I, I almost want to just be anti-establishment and wear like straight up purple or something like that. You know, to the next. You know, but then it's a. But then what is it? Because then it's turning the attention onto me when I do something like that too. How do you break this? How do you inject a bit of Kenyan culture into a Christian funeral? I mean. I literally, I, I think, you know, if if you're going to be an outlier, and I am very much an outlier in a lot of aspects of my life, um, when you do something and you're doing it with a cause and you're doing it with a, with a, with a bigger um, arc going forwards, the people who don't understand will see it as a peacocking event. The people who do understand will step through and understand, you know, what you're doing. So... My dad told me, you know, as much as he can, don't wear black. And I don't. My wardrobe is mostly color, you know, much to the annoyance of me having to do washing and have like 10 different piles of clothes because like they can't mix. Um, but, you know, I have been to funerals and I have worn color, you know, and some people have kind of come up and said, oh, maybe you should have worn black. And I'm like, but I am black. And they're just like, you know, and I, I don't care. Like, you know, I'm, I'm. I'm here for a friend. Like, I don't even know the person who's died. I'm here for a friend to be supportive to them, right? Me wearing color is part of my support package, okay? And I can, I sometimes wear silly little brooches or whatever. And, you know, I'm just there for that person. Um, and I do feel, again, if there is that kind of selfishness that pulls in where people are like, you must conform to the rules, um, especially if the person who's passed away is a huge nonconformist anyway, or has just lived such a brilliant life, you can go in and be like, I'm respecting that person, you know, and the colorful life they lived by being here for their last, you know, physical moments on this planet or metaphysical moments of this planet, being on this planet in color, because that's who they were. You know, I remember them being colorful. So I'm, I'm keeping that memory alive, you know? 
Um, yeah, I think it's just, you just have to squeeze in and just be that person. And if no one changes, then fine, but you've stayed true to yourself. If some people understand what you're doing and maybe you've planted a seed and maybe, you know, over time people realize like, Hey, we don't have to all wear black and look like grim reapers standing over our next kill. Like we can actually be human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Being a third culture human. Uh, something that struck me when you went back to Kenya that you were talking about is that they were even saying, you know, it's, well, you're not one of us. Mm. It's like, even though you are literally the same race, <laughs> they're saying mm -hmm. you're not one of us. So it's a, it was almost like, I don't even know, is it a term? You know, like, I, I don't know the term when you're even racist against your own kind. It, it's so, it's so, so the whole kind of, um, internalized racism is, it's not even a phrase I want to use, but it's the phrase I'm going to use. Cause I can't really like you, I can't really find anything. Yeah. Exactly. It is a thing. <laughs> Words are fun. Um, it is a thing, you know, I, I, I probably kind of push it more towards tribalism you know, kind of that, that whole them and us versus kind of thing exists everywhere, right? Even with people who are the most inclusive, it's part of our kind of our primal DNA where the quickest way to know if you're about to die is like that familiarity. So if there isn't familiarity, instantly that's a problem. So, you know, your initial thing is like, you're not one of me, you know, you do that and you're just like, okay, no, you're over there. Um, versus if I started speaking Swahili or whatever, the next thing would be, what tribe are you from? Because we still have tribes in Kenya. So there's, there's, there's always a need to differentiate smoker, non-smoker, uh, black, white, Kikuyu, Luya, Taita, uh, Kenyan, Ugandan. Like, you know, there's, there's always something that people will utilize to kind of just like either um, bring you in or push you away, right? Depending on, on what their own um, objectives are. So uh, yeah, I, I, I went home. Um, and I stayed very quiet for the most part because I just, I just couldn't be bothered. Um, but sometimes people would come up to me. This was before my ears started kind of like picking up on the language and they start speaking to me in Swahili. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. I don't speak Swahili. And they'd look at me and you know, that th there'd be that like, ew, she's, she's not speaking the language that I expect You're to come different. out of her mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I heard one, one person saying wazungu and I'm just like, mate stop like so it was muzungu uh, muzungu is white man in swahili all right and i heard wazungu which is kind of like you know they're a white person or they're a white man and i'm just like really you're gonna wow. ostracize me like i'm not i'm not hurting you i just can't speak to you like find someone who speaks half english and we're good or like maybe someone improved Google Translate because it was terrible, but you know, just it, it, there was nothing there. Here, here, say that again. Okay. One more time, please. <laughs> I, look, I use Google Translate a lot in Italy and it works really, really well. Um, cause it can kind of cross, uh, communicate. Sure. So you can speak in English and it throws out in like weird Italian and it goes back and forth, which is quite cool, but not in Kenya. Swahili is not quite up to par. Um, so yeah, just, just hearing the kind of, you know, whispers around me, um, which I suppose you could call backstabbing, but I didn't care because I'm just like, you're, you're talking about me, but you're not talking to me. So you're clearly scared of me. You don't understand who I am, which is fine. I, you know, I get that. Um, 
you know, the, the family lineage that I'm part of, I'm clearly a black sheep being black and queer, which is something I didn't say. I have never told anyone when I'm in that country that I'm a bisexual woman because I'll probably get killed. So, you well, know, that's true too. Yeah. 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 No, I'm, yeah. I'm not even exaggerating. Exactly. Like, yeah. Profile level of things. It's just like, oh, let's go kill the, the foreign black witch. You know, she's the reason why there's problems in this country. No, I'm not. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not that important. <laughs> foreign um, black witch. <laughs> yeah. They're all, all coming of our in. problems. Exactly. <laughs> but no, no, just, just one more cat doesn't have a home. That's what happens. Um, but yeah, so, you know, all this kind of, of just this, this weird, um, passive animosity due to a language barrier was there and, you know, kind of being outcast and my haircut as well. Like I've always had a weird kind of mohawk thing of some description. I have tattoos behind my ears. I have tattoos going down my neck, you know, um, all of these kind of things are very, are, are not conservative. And a lot of Kenya is still quite conservative, really. So um, having this radical, not even a radical, this liberal, you know, black person who should be part of the cloth, but she isn't, um, kind of rubbed people up the wrong way. Um, but yeah, I, I, being over there, I just said, you know, just just do the thing. So my uncle had to deal with, with um, the village elders, even though they wanted to talk to me. Um, but, you know, I said, I don't want to, like, it, it's just going to be a difficult conversation and I, I can't deal with it. So he did it all. Took two weeks of meetings to agree to let my mother to be buried in the family farm. Um, and due to the disgrace that she brought on the family, she wasn't allowed to come through the same um, gate that was purposely built for my grandmother. So they just like tore what? a hole. Yeah, it. I because she she's divorced, right? Which they don't believe in. Um, she's what? What? There's there's a tree. Oh yeah, she's cremated as well. So they don't believe in cremation. They believe in the whole body burials, and she committed suicide. So the three one of no, three of many things uh, that they don't they don't believe in or accept or as part of their culture, hmm. she did. So, you know, with my stepfather still being alive at the time, um, they were like, no, it's the man's job. It's the husband's job to bury the body, you know? And they were like, take the body to Israel. And we're just like, no, no. <laughs> like they've been divorced and separated for like 15 plus years. It's not going to happen. Um, so that's what my uncle was fighting. You know, he was trying to bring modern, um, things in Kenya, not even from the UK where I am or America or Israel. He was just bringing Kenyan modernity into a village life just to let us bury our, you know, family person in our own garden. <laughs> that has nothing to do with them, but wow. they're the village elders, you know, so, so there is this weird kind of um, respect thing that has to be done. Religion um, gets in the way of humanity a lot, doesn't it? It really does. And, and, you know, when, when most people think about religion, they only like think of the kind of secular, like Christianity, Muslim, um, Jewish, you know, all those kind of sides of things. Whereas religion kind of does span into the spiritual and almost, you know, the, the, the fabric of society in other spaces. Cause you look at, you know, the Eastern side of the world, you know, Eastern Asia, Right, they don't have religion per se, but there's a lot of just spirituality kind of ingrained in their entire existence. 
Um, Africa has the same, just from our tribal upbringings, but they do kind of coincide a lot with, with Christianity because that was forced upon us a lot by invaders and colonizers, unfortunately. Now we had British people come and, you know, tell us that we weren't human and teach us how to be human. And there were slave camps. Uh, Winston Churchill had concentration camps in Kenya. Wow. A lot of people wow. don't know that. <laughs> well, you blew my mind when you said that your grandmother was Seventh Day Adventist. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's yeah. That's it's, you're talking I, generations ago was when all this yeah, started too. Exactly. So you know, for for that to kind of be embodied now, and and you know, for these these issues to the cross tribal uh, religious kind of crossing over things is is tough because now we're trying to to reinvent that wheel again and be like, hey, I know you didn't believe in this, but you did believe in it before. Uh, can you go back to believing in, in it again, please? Like, no, no, no. But this is the way it's always been. But, but it, it hasn't. You know it's not that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so, um, but that happened and they just cut a hole in the fence and, and you know, very sloppily walked my mother's casket through this hole in the fence. Um, of which my mother's travel urn is in a full-bodied casket. So she's rattling around in there like a like a jigsaw piece, right? <laughs> it's just, it, it's yeah. It, I'm I'm like, this is not necessary. So I fought my uncle a little bit about this. He's like, oh, we have to have a full casket funeral. I'm just like, but why? She's in my hands. Like we don't need anything more. Just put her in the earth. Put some earth over her. Say some things, and we can be done. No, no, no. Full casket resin sprayed something gold handles this whole thing were the right? casket dark humor were the <laughs> casket dancers dancing around with your mother rolling around inside the thing uh there were thankfully no casket dancers okay. <laughs> this one. i got some dark humor too and i'm thinking about them doing whatever it is they're doing and then all yeah. of a sudden you just hear this clanging <laughs> no i mean it wasn't that hilarious it was it was a little bit more kind of subdued in that we had a procession that we had to do and i held a corner and you know everyone was i think there was eight of us yeah. holding this casket and processing from where all the talks were happening to where the burial um hole was the floor was really uneven because uh, we, for some reason, I don't know why the pastor kind of threw, took us through trees and all this kind of stuff. There was lots of uneven um, roots. So guys were tripping and I'm at the back. I'm not even holding the, I'm not actually like carrying the casket. I've just put my finger on it because like, I am so pissed off <laughs> with this whole circus affair. I'm like, this is all unnecessary. And this is clearly the, 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 my, my Kenyan family's side just coming out. Like I could feel my mother's rage coming out of me because I have the same. Uh, and this is highly unnecessary. It's all very stupid. Just, just, just put her in the floor and, and be done with it. But no, we were walking and I've got my finger just on a little handle just to kind of make it look like I'm holding onto it. And all I can hear is because the box is actually rattling inside this. And I'm like, I can feel it hitting when it hits the corners and they're going up and they're going down and it's just sliding, full on kamikaze sliding, sliding across this entire thing. And I'm like, nobody can hear this? No, like, how, you're all believing this lie. You're all, you're, you're all into it. You know, my aunties, my uncles, everyone knows because I told them, right? I had her in my backpack. I showed them pictures. Like I wanted people to know, but still everyone just jumped on board the, the, the lie and they're just like, no, you know, this is what we're doing. Um, so a photographer was there and there are some photographs of me and I have not seen myself that livid since maybe I was seven 
you know, just the look on my face of just utter disbelief, disappointment, annoyance, um, just, just all the things. My face was just, I was just like, why am I even here? Why am I holding this wreath? Why am I, why do I have this sand in my hand? Like, why, 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 why? But I was too exhausted to do anything with it. So, um, yeah, they got buried. Um, weirdly, the guys who made the grave, which was a pure concrete grave, by the way, which was further just stupidness. Um, they have this whole thing, like if you come down on your own, they seem to think that you have money on you and they're just like, oh, you need to pay me for this. I'm like, no, I might be foreign, but I'm not stupid. Like my uncle has paid for this. If you have issues, you go deal with him. Oh, but, 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 but nothing. I know how this plays out. Kenyan version (laughs) of window washers. Yeah. Yeah. Like we've, we've done something for you. We've done this extra thing. Do you really like it? Yeah. So, so, uh, we talked a little bit about this last time, but how did you find your people in the midst of all this? This is, I mean, I just stayed true to who I am. Um, and you know, like you were saying before, like, you know, the, the, the worry that one can have of trying to kind of take a step out from the procession and just being a little bit different. Um, I'm a professional at doing that. (laughs) So much so like, you know, if, if I'm in a place that I'm uncomfortable, either I'm quiet because I know I'll eventually be able to leave. Or if I'm, if I'm there for a while, I just, I just walk around and I look at people and, you know, it was kind of my moment just with the funeral because it was my mother. Um, you know, certain people would look and, and look away or whatever. And so certain other people would just sit there and just be like, Hey, and they, they do a weird wave. I don't know why it's a weird wave, but for some reason it's the weird wave where I'm like, you're one of mine. Um, <laughs> That's how you tell. Oh, it, it, yeah. It just, just, so it, it, my, one of my aunties, she's also kind of weirdly like cast out a little bit further out and everyone was just saying weird things about her. And I'm just like, you guys are weird. <laughs> why, why are you doing this? And, and she was the one that I sat with the most and, and I cried on her shoulder and just gave her a big hug. And I finally managed to like break down for a little bit. Um, and she hasn't been in my life that much, but like, it just felt like seeing an old friend again, out of all the other relatives and everything who've been there, but they've, they've all got this like vibe underneath them that I really didn't like. Um, cause being quiet reveals a lot about people <laughs> really oh, quickly, yeah. um, especially their drinking habits. So, you know, <laughs> watching that, well, I wasn't drinking and I just like, have have some whiskey. Have some whiskey. And I'm like, it's Jameson. I don't want Jameson. Like, it's gross. Like, where's the Lafroy? Oh my gosh. But- <laughs> You're my kind of people. Yes. Like we we spoke about this before. Yes, you we know, did. Um, single malt whiskeys. But yeah, they're they're all into Jameson. And I'm just like, I don't want to wake up with like more hate and regret in my head and a hangover. <laughs> you know, give me something better. But they didn't have anything, and I just I just wasn't drinking. And then I had one and then everyone chilled out. It was literally because I wasn't drinking, everyone else felt like, you know, there was a problem. Um, and they're just oh, getting more and more antsy. Yeah, it's, it's very a psychological common. component to that, too, because it's almost like you're separating yourself as an outsider in that. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's not even a parallel outsider. It's like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm above you because I don't drink kind of thing. Sure. No, right. I'm with you. Yeah. There's so, a point of that. I mean, I mean, in these situations or any situation in life to where all eyes are on you, you almost mm-hmm. have to conform in a way so that other people can feel comfortable. Yeah. 
Yeah, not not, but it's a, there's a way to do that to where you don't lose yourself either in the process or don't compromise what you stand for. Mm. So what's one drink in Jameson? I mean, it's still gross. i did not enjoy it i think i I went and got some water uh at one point but even then i just i just think i I just very gracefully just put the glass down somewhere and we're never going to sponsor the show now by the way but it's (laughs) (laughs) It's fine lefroy if you're listening if you're listening (laughs) hook us up or mccallan i would go with that too but hey oh good shout good shout um but yeah so so you know finding your people is is just I find rather than rushing around trying to find someone, just being very still and looking at who's looking at you, why they're looking at you, what they're doing, do they feel comfortable with you, do they not feel comfortable with you, is way more telling than going, hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? And everyone's just like, ah, fine, go away, you know? So that's that's how I, I, uh, I found my people that way. That's great. Where can everyone find you again? Is that- um. So I'm I'm on the social medias. So Facebook, Shigamus, or if you do Shiggy Pactor on Facebook, I'm there. Uh, Instagram, El Shig, E L S H I G, and Twitter, El Shig, as well. And your podcast is launching. Yes, it's it's yes. coming out on my on my birthday, the second of January. Um, awesome. Whenever you're listening to this, so uh, yeah, it'll 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 be launching then. Um, I'm just getting back into the swing of everything. So lots of psychology talks and hopefully talking to other people as well. Nice. Everyone needs to follow Shiggy. Everyone needs to <laughs> subscribe to her podcast too. Why? Because I'm going to, and just, I can't wait to hear all of your other insight. This was yeah, great. It's, it, it, there's a lot coming because I took a break over lockdown just because I felt like there wasn't really much yeah. to talk about. But then I realized, no, there's a lot just there's of a lot. mental yep. cleaning. So I've, I've got a few episodes I'm already recording. So lovely times well do that follow shiggy listen to her podcast and oh i'd love to be a guest on your show you can drill me the same way i drilled you cool no definitely (laughs) it's 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 gonna happen don't you worry awesome (laughs) very cool thanks again shiggy thank you what's shaking thank you for joining me on the all-in podcast click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications text me 312-535-8520 Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. See you next episode. I am Rick Jordan and I approve this message.